Why have I quit my job? Why have I, you know, bought a van? And, and why am I going to drive around the country? Well, I'm passionate about the idea that you need to be heard. And I want to stitch these stories together across the states. We're going to find the commonalities. And it's going to be really an amazing experience. And I look forward to you joining me on the job. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Mental Health Today. Uh, and today we've got Steve Wilson as a guest. Uh, Steve has got an incredible story, um, certainly one of, of horrific nature at parts, uh, and then a beautiful struggle. Um, and he's got a great way to tell about who he is and where he is today and his journey through the mental health system. So it's rare we have patients on. Um, but Steve's written a book and he's very articulate about his journey. And I think there's a lot of value in professionals in the industry hearing from somebody, you know, a retail customer uh, and someone who's able to look back on it and write this from a third a first person. But truly writing is a third person project and being able to look back on it and reflect on it and, and share his journey. And, and I think we're going to try to learn a little bit about what that looks like, the good parts about what mental health, uh, how we take care of people in need and, and the good parts and the bad parts. And, and hopefully Steve will have also some insight into things we can do better, et cetera. And, and we'll have that conversation. I'd like to thank everybody for supporting not just Mental Health Today, but the JAR podcast, which enables this. Uh, the JAR Foundation sponsors this podcast as well as the JAR um, Traveling Podcast live show and big big shout out to the foundation for helping support this. Steve, welcome to Mental Health Today. Thanks very much for being a guest and, and being willing to open up and share your journey. Thanks a lot. I appreciate uh, you having me. Um, my life, well, let's start off this way. I'll tell you, tell your audience. Yeah, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your, yeah, a little bit about who you, you know, I, I think a little bit about who you are. And, right. and, and what happened, and then we can kind of talk about the journey through when you realized you needed help. Okay, cool. Well, I'm 74 years old. I'm retired. I'm married to my wife for 50 years. I have three daughters, two, two granddaughters. I come from Delaware, Ohio, where I was for my all my working life was in the custom clothing business. Uh, where I made suits for gentlemen and ladies all over. Okay. Uh, I traveled a lot like you do. Uh, then I got a job as a uh, U.S. sales rep for a Hong Kong custom clothing company. And then I would travel the entire U.S. and to Asia. So it was made possible to do these things in the 2000s because I had been able to resurrect myself from my journey with bipolar disorder. Mm. Uh, wow. To tell you all what, how it started and what I went through, um, when I would put this way, I was a fun loving kid at nine years old, up to nine years old. Mm. 
I loved going to the movies. And one day I went to the movie to see a Western. That was back when I would spend a whopping 50 cents. Now, that was 10 or 20 cents to get in, a dime for a Coke, and a dime for popcorn. So it wasn't too expensive back in those days, but I went on a Saturday and we'd watch a double feature and I went up to get my Coke and a guy put a dime in the machine for me, a guy I didn't know. And I didn't know what to think. And he says, you know, young man, I need a little help here in the theater. So I said, okay. I, I thought it was all right. And we first walked down the carpet and stopped at the restroom. And then we went in and that was a hell of a experience. Worst day of my life. Mm. After that, I decided I'm not going to tell anybody. It was my fault. Yep. You know, when, when you're nine years old, nothing makes sense. You can't figure these things out. You just just do whatever you're going to do. Yeah, you're nine. You're a child. Nine, nine years old. So I told nobody. My parents didn't know uh, nobody. And for a little while, and I mean, I really blocked it out. I never even thought about it. Dang. For a little while, it didn't affect me. And then later that year, I went into a deep depression, but I had no idea what it was. Um, I didn't want to live anymore. Uh, I had no desire to do schoolwork. I didn't want to see my friends. Couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. I was a really good student and my, my grades dropped to nothing. And my parents had no idea. And then uh, about, I went through that for about two months and then it lifted. And I went on and I never had another one, another episode like that until seventh grade football. And I went into the locker room the first day after practice to take a shower, saw all these nude kids in the shower, romping around, and I was freaked. All I could do was sit there and put a towel over myself. I had no idea why. Didn't, yeah, no idea. No idea. I never even thought that what happened and that when I was nine could have created that problem. So I had to get the hell out of football because I was, I was not going to put up with that. But there was no out for me. And uh, I just had gone out to throw the football around in my backyard and a ball careened off my middle finger and hurt like hell. And it was kind of like a uh, stove was what we called it back in the old days. Yeah, his so, finger. Yeah. And so I went to my bedroom and I said, Jesus, I, I, it was hurting like hell. 
I said, maybe this is my way out. So I took my finger and <clears throat> busted that thing right in half. I was in a lot of pain, but I was ecstatic <sighs> because I couldn't play, didn't have to play football anymore. Dang. So, so uh, Brit, just over. push that, push that emotion again, successfully push the emotion away. So football's okay. over. Um, and the depression lifted. Well, which it didn't happen because I was I hadn't had it yet. So I didn't have depression for a while. I had a great seventh and eighth grade. And I'll just make it simple now. Um, in ninth grade, I got really bad depression, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. Grades went to hell. Um, didn't think anybody loved me. I couldn't find anything good with anybody. And that went on for the next seven or eight years on a roller coaster ride. Uh, sometimes I'd feel pretty good. Uh, maybe for two or three months. And then sometimes I'd hit a depression and I feel even worse. So that went on. I went to college. Don't know how I got in college, but I went to college at Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida. Uh, was depressed a lot of the time, but it was really not as bad as before because I was in Florida, beautiful women, sunshine. I was able to survive very well. Uh, but when I graduated, what was I going to do? I hadn't learned anything. Uh, so I went home to Ohio. And I went to work for my dad in the clothing business. And my dad and I didn't get along. And so... For some reason, I really dislike him. And what's funny is I can't remember why. Yeah. He did something to me. I have no idea. Yeah. I didn't like him. And I started getting very depressed in 1971, June. And I went swimming. I was always a big swimmer. And for the first time, I jumped in the water and started swimming laps. And all of a sudden, my mind told me, kill yourself, kill yourself. Every single uh, time I would make a stroke, that's what yeah. that was on a, uh, a Saturday or a Friday. Well, that's a tough, that's a tough self-talk. Yeah, I went home. And I don't know how I got through the day, but I did. And the next day, we had a barbecue at my parents' house. And for some reason, I was cooking the hamburgers. And my father came over and actually shoved me out of the way. And he said, you don't know how to do this. <gasps> it was a knife sitting on the barbecue. 
I picked it up. The next thing I knew, I was in the hospital where I stayed for three weeks. It was a mental hospital in Worthington, Ohio, about 15, 15 minutes away. Whoa. That's when I was at my worst. And you had, so, tried, to, you had tried to kill your dad or hurt your father. Well, thinking about Don't it now, you. I say yes. I don't know what my intention was at the time. And you have to read my book to find out if I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, <sighs> when so, did you, when did, yeah. So how about the treatment? So you're in the hospital. What, what is that like? And, and when did you start to kind of go down the journey of treatment and being diagnosed? Well, my mother, when I was at a college and home at, the, at about that time, had noticed that I was not doing well. And because she had been in psychiatric help before, she got me a psychiatrist at the hospital. Mm, great. And so I started going to him. And when I, I went to him a little bit before that incident with my dad. And then... I had, so I was really used to him. He was doing very well. He was helping me, but I had crashed to the bottom of the sea. Mm. And uh, when I was taken into the hospital, another psych doctor admitted me. And he came up to me as he was talking to me about what I've been going through and what, what I was going to do next. And he said, Steve, I don't want you to worry. You're very depressed but it will be over in about four weeks. 50 years later, <laughs> I think he made a mistake. <laughs> he was, he didn't, he didn't really realize what a tough nut you were to crack. <laughs> uh, well, I don't, I think it would have been the same for anybody else. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the name of the hospital is Harding hospital. It's no longer here or in Worthington. Its basis was medication, therapy, and hard work. Oh, they okay. believed that with the three and the hard work, you, you could change your thinking. So I had to do things like uh, uh, build a uh, walkway in the woods. This was a beautiful place. It's not like what people go to today. It was surrounded by 40 acres. It had a basketball yeah. court. It uh, had a tennis court. Uh, it was really a pretty cool place. I've been with patients to a lot of the places they have now. And they're some of the worst places I've ever seen. I went to Columbus State Hospital. And... I've never seen anything like how they treated them. Now, remember, this is back in the 70s. So I hope those kind of places are better now. But just three years ago, I went to one out here, and it's terrible. So anyway, um, so they believed in physical exercise. We would get up and do calisthenics and run, and then we'd go and do our chores, and then we'd have... 
uh, group therapy and we'd have therapy and, and all those things. Now, as far as medication goes, there wasn't a whole lot back then. And they put me on one called Melaril. I don't even know if you're familiar with it. This was no. way back, 71, 72. And it helped. The suicidal ideations I had had kind of went away, and I don't believe I ever had them again. So something worked. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys will love this. When we would eat, they would sprinkle saltpeter on the food so you didn't get aroused because they had two two wings, men, women. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it, it, yeah. So they took so no chances. And they let me out after three weeks and they had de- defined me as uh, clinically depressed. And I started taking other medications. None of them worked. None of them mm-hmm. even came close to working. That was in 1971. And I suffered terribly for the next eight years. Now, you have to realize that, as I've already said, you come and go. So that doesn't mean for eight years I was a miserable, dirty, terrible uh, way. Hmm. I would have a lot of good times. It would just depend on how they, how long they lasted. But anyway, a night after every medication failing, and back then there might have been five, um, I... Uh, Went to, to my psychiatrist's appointment, and he said, Steve, I think I made a mistake. Your condition is not clinically depression. It's bipolar. Who the hell am I? I never heard of bipolar. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're just, it's, not, it's not even 1980 yet. You're like, what? Yeah, what is what that? About. But he said, I apologize for making a mistake but I'm going to start you on lithium. And wouldn't you know it, the first couple of days I was on that lithium, I felt about 50% better. It was like a miracle. Now, I wasn't 100%, so I still had a lot of, a lot of symptoms, a lot of downtime, so on and so forth. But the, the lithium started me on my journey back. Amazing. What about what about now? What what are you? What's your prognosis now? Where are you at now from well, a me, from a medical? For a second, and I'll get to that because I want to tell you one. Yeah, thing. come on. Yeah, back up. It's okay. I do. I facilitate two uh, mental health support groups out here in Phoenix. Okay. Week. Oh, fantastic. And the things we talk about. One of the things we talk about is how do you find a good therapist and psychiatrist? Yes. A lot of people say in these groups are really struggling and they go, I can't find one who understands me. 
So just keep that thought in mind. Okay. Go back to about 1985. And I got up the courage to tell my psychiatrist about my sexual assault. I mean, I was going to lay it all out. And it, I was scared to death. So we get into the, his office and sit down and I go, I want you to know that I was sexually assaulted when I was nine years old. And he goes, really? Well, how do you feel now? I said, pretty good, but did you hear what I said? He said, yeah, but that's not important. <laughs> so. Okay. 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 Is right. <laughs> I so, thought it was pretty important. I've been keeping it a secret for 30 years. <laughs> uh, and I think it's fooked me up pretty good. So anyway, that was, that's what people in my groups talk about. They can't get a psychiatrist to really understand. And now this isn't all the time. Of but course, yeah, not everybody. But just, yeah, the, it's a frustration. And I'm, matching up, I'm sure, is not easy. Not easy. And when you start going through giving them the new medications, it's a crapshoot. Because nobody knows which medication is going to work and who it's going to work for. So you spend two or three months on a medication Nothing happens, you get worse. Well, you got to start over again with a new medication. Or what many people do is go, well, I'm never going to take medication again because right. it doesn't work. Well, that makes their life worse. So we talk about that a lot. And there are many people who just won't take medication. Hmm. So, and today there's, Many, many drugs that can help you. Uh, and people just give up. They go, oh, this isn't going to work for me. And I, I don't know what psychiatrists and therapists do. I know what, what he did in, in my sessions, but it wasn't the same back then. He didn't have anything to work with. But... Uh, I, I don't understand why so many people fall through the cracks. And I mean, I've got uh, in a good therapy session, a group therapy session, you can see about 10 to 12 people. That makes it an ideal session. Okay. But I'm getting, at one time I had 23 and recently I'm at 19 and almost all of them are talking about uh, they just can't find any help. and They're getting worse and worse and worse. And then a lot of them talk about, uh, well, well, I don't know that it's a good thing to do, but I often talk about trauma situations. And you can't believe the number of people who were sexually assaulted, beaten by their parents, uh, bullied by kids and everything. It's really a pandemic out there when, when you see uh, all these people who have their lives literally ripped apart because some son of a bitch said, I want to have a little action with that guy. So it's, it's really sad. It, it is 
it struck me as I've traveled and listened to stories. Um, it's a real crisis. It is a crisis. I, I didn't, I wasn't even aware of it, but I've, I've been surprised um, by everybody having a mental, really everybody I talked to has had some, some challenge at the very least. And a lot of them, like you said, the trauma that people, you stand in line next to somebody, you're driving next to somebody, everybody around you has had a rough yeah. time. And we've got to have some grace and compassion for people. I think it's amazing what you're doing with the therapy. That's one of the things uh, that I, through the book I wrote, uh, I kind of, two things I really wanted to do was to get the word out that there's help. And when you read the book, I go through a lot of different things, a lot of therapies. Okay. And, um, uh, the other thing is the worst, one of the worst things about mental illness is that people who are not, who don't think they're mentally ill, because 20% of the world is mentally ill, and that's the same for the United States. So that's a lot of people, but the ones who <laughs> think they're normal, they'll, 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 they'll say, say something about it. Oh, you're feeling bad? Well, go take a walk, because it's not that bad. You can beat it. Go for a run. Well, those things don't work. Choose happy. <laughs> yeah, I hear that one too. <laughs> That's my favorite. That's a new one. Choose happy. <laughs> so, Isn't it? Is it a choice? Is it a choice? I mean, can we just crush that fantasy? It is not a choice. This damn thing just grabs you by the throat and it throws you down and keeps you down. And uh, doesn't sound like a choice. No, it's not a choice. No one would want to go through this. Can you, if you are, quote, a normal person and you had a buddy, a good buddy, and you were for him and everything else, and you ask him what it feels like to be that depressed and that far down, no matter what he would tell you, you have no idea what he's going through. Hmm. The human brain doesn't allow anybody to, they can't comprehend what it's like to want to kill yourself. They just can't figure it out. They go, oh, well, he won't do it. He's just kidding. So it's, it's a lucky thing that we're getting a little better about it in this country. They're waking up a little bit. Um, they're realizing that teenagers and kids, there's the same 20% that are really struggling. I'll tell you a little story. Um, in my store in Ohio, we, uh, we were the business, of course, at Christmas time. And I would hire two or three gr young girls to wrap packages and run errands and stuff like that. Um, one of the girls I hired was just cute as a button, energetic, smiled all the time. And she was the best one I ever had, I thought. She was about 16. One Saturday morning, I went to the store to go to get an early start on work and 
her buddy who also worked in the store came in just sobbing and crying and screaming. I said, Jesus, what's wrong? She said, Angie killed herself last night. She took a gun to bed and shot herself in the head. Holy cow. Now, that was my first, my except for myself, that was my first uh, run around with in, in person. A normal person. Normal person. You never would have guessed. I don't know what happened. I don't know why she did it. I know none of the particulars. What did you, th I mean, that could have been you. You've had those thoughts, right? I mean, at this point, like you, did that must have hit home hard. Like if well, she, if she could do it. I never thought of it that way. I was okay. mourning her because she was More, such a lovely okay. person. So I never thought of it. Well, that. that's good because that, then that means it was off the table for you by then. Yeah. It really was off the table. When I would do, uh, I started after that, I said, I got to do something about this. So I started talking to mostly high school health and psychology classes. Okay. And it was pretty well received. And one thing we would do was anybody who wanted to talk to me at the end of my talk would come up and tell me what, what their problem is. And, you know, I would try to point them in the right direction. Mm -hmm. First little girl, well, I can't say the first, but one of the little girls who came up was a senior in high school, very attractive. And she was one of the top 10 students in the 12th grade. Okay. Everything to live for. She comes up to me and she says, I can't, I can't go through this anymore. I said, well, what's wrong? She says, my parents and everybody put so much pressure on me. They want me to get the top grades. They want me to get into schools like Harvard. Uh, I'm a good athlete. They want me to get an athletic scholarship, all this. And she was just beside herself. Dang. Your own parents were beating her down. So I suggested she start therapy, but what more could I do? One of the next girls came up. She was cute too, lot on the ball. She says, I have no friends. Nobody likes me. My parents hate me. I want to run away. She says, I want to kill myself. <sighs> Jesus. And so... I never saw him. Of course, I never saw him again. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's it, exactly. Steve, we're kind of we're at the we're kind of the close part. Okay. It's a it's a short, impactful. Thirty minutes. That's a powerful story for someone to unpack, and I, I think it's great because they can get into the book, and really get into hear your story, your whole story. Um, how about a closing message? And I think maybe, you know, the message would be really for, for anybody in the industry that, that listens uh, and hears the story and, well, you know, or, or, or people advocating for themselves. So maybe it's a double-edged sword. I'd ask you to kind of talk to, you know, both on the, both on, on both sides. Since well, you've I, seen I, both. Okay. okay. Well, what I think and what I bring out in my book is that, you can't give up. Mm. I, I know that most people who are struggling with bipolar and depression, uh, 
And I'll take just a second telling you the difference between the two bipolars. Bipolar one is depression and mania. That's where you just go off the rails. You spend all your money, you buy cars. And when you, when you get better, you look back and you've left wreckage all over the place. You may have ruined your family life. Your wife may have divorced you and that's terrible things. Bipolar two, which I am, is a tremendous lows of self-loathing and nothing is good. I want to die and all that. So that's what we're dealing with on the bipolar spectrum. Um, Because of the way the system is made up, I'll just talk a little bit about what I have found with the uh, mental health system. It is a total guessing game to help somebody. There are no rights and no wrongs. There's no medication that says I'll all work for everybody Mm -hmm. who this kind of depression. I'll work for anybody who's this kind of mania. It's a crapshoot. And you have to just, I think one mistake that the therapists make is that they don't tell their patients the recovery process. Maybe they're scared because they know how rough it can be. Mm. But I find that these people go into the recovery process. They figure they better take the medication. And when it doesn't work the first time, they're just, they, they get upset. And when they get sick on the next one, they get upset. And the next pill makes them gain 50 pounds. But many times the medication will make you feel better mentally, but the side effects can be really catastrophic. And they don't advocate for themselves and say, hey, doc, I'm not going to put up with gaining 50 pounds. They just quit going to the doctor or they get in the doctor's office and they won't say anything. They're scared to upset the therapist. And Kind of like what that psychiatrist did to me when he said my uh, sexual assault was no big deal. Uh, it's their fault, the psychiatrist and the therapist's fault, that they don't learn more about their patients. Maybe they got 100 patients a day, I don't know what. But they're not doing what I think. as They're mm-hmm. doing well, but they could do a whole hell of a lot better. And then... You get into the system. We have a we have our uh, mental health system here in Arizona. It's called Access, and okay. it's for people who are SMI, which means uh, uh, something mental, mentally ill. I can't think of it right now. I should know it. Um, you get them on SMI, they get money, and they can go to clinics and get all their medication and so on. Uh, but it takes three months to get in to see a doctor. Uh, They can't prescribe many of the the medications. So these people are left hanging and they just go on their lives, not getting much help. And it's a real crisis. So getting back to what I think is the most important thing is 
to try to get out to the world that you just can't give up. I'm an example of, and it took me 30 years, I actually got the last pill that put me over the top that made my cocktail work in 2000. <laughs> 30 years bad. But oh. I've had 23 good years. And I was able to raise a family. I have a great wife. I have great friends. Uh, but until they started reading my book, none of my friends had any idea what I was going through. Jesus. They were they must have been shocked when they started finding out who Steve was. You're right. They had no idea. But if I had given up and if I hadn't latched on to lithium, I'd be dead long ago. Dang. So that's it. Just it's a crazy, amazing story. I the Have you found a purpose out of this whole thing? Have you found what what have, what have you supposed to learn from this? What's your what's your purpose now? Well, I'll tell you. Through my working life, I failed at everything. Even when I had my own business, uh, I made a lot of mistakes. I quit jobs. I, I only got fired once, but I'd quit jobs after six months. I could never find my so-called calling. Hmm. I never did. Uh, the last, I, I went on my own as a custom clothing salesperson in 1995, and that's when I had the most fun until I quit in 2019. Uh, but all those earlier years, I was just screwed up. I just couldn't do anything right. Well, now I went, okay, now it's present day, four years ago. Um, I've retired, and I had a lot of stuff I had to overcome. One, of course, was the sexual assault, and there were a couple other things. And I went to a trauma therapist here in Scottsdale, and she had me lay out my life from the earliest memory to the present. And as we're doing this, I chronologically put everything in order. And there was so much stuff there that I'd gone through in my life that my therapist says, Jesus, you ought to write a book about this. <laughs> now, what, I, a, what a great lady. I had thought of that many times in the past, but never really thought about yeah, it. Yeah, it's a crazy idea. So I got back uh, four years ago and just for the hell of it, I thought I'd outline the book. And when I did, everything came into my mind. I knew exactly what I was going to write. I knew in what order I was going to write. I knew everything. So uh, I started writing the book and the first process, of course, was laying it out and getting it in the proper order. The, the book just zoomed. It's, it still took a year to write, but that's not working on it 24 hours a day. That's a couple hours here, because I was retired and I didn't want to do it all at one time. So I got done with the book, sent it out, couldn't get it published. 
the traditional way. Half a time, three quarters of the time, they don't even answer you. Oh, yeah. So I had to go back to the old self-publishing deal, which I didn't want to do. And so I did it anyway. And that process has taken a year and a half to two. So you got three, three and a half years in starting to write the book and then getting it published. The greatest thing I've learned from doing this is that I am really wanting to get the word out. A lot of people are hurting. I love yeah. it. We'll see if that works. Well, you're on the you're on the path. Yeah, I'm on the path, but it's a long one. Well, the average number of books sold by an author in the United States is 200. Now, you're not going anywhere only selling 200 books. So we'll see what happens. Well, if you sell 200, you might touch one person and help one person that's, out. That's true. That's true. And if you can keep one person from having your journey, um, it's a lot of, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, for sure. Steve, it, it's an amazing story. And, and actually makes me want to actually pick up the book as well. It makes me want to get on Barnes and Noble and or Barnes and Noble. Barnes and uh, Noble and Amazon. And Amazon. That's great. Um, I think it's, an amazing story you've got. I, I love the fact that you're 75, four. you said? Four. 74. 74, you found your purpose. It only took 70 years. <laughs> but you're on fire. Some people don't find their purpose anytime. I, they, and they die in the deathbed thinking yeah. they wishing they did other things. And you're not going to be that guy. You'll, your only wish would be you wrote another couple books. Yeah. Let's, see how, let's see how many more you get out. Um, fantastic story. And, uh, and I'm sure, you know, just keep, keep telling the story and let's keep touching people. Uh, I, I want to thank you for being part of this show. Thank um, you. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Being, being part of the beehive. I'm calling it, I don't know why, but I'm calling it a beehive for some reason. Um, you know, we just got a lot of people buzzing around talking about it and, you know, hopefully we can send some messages. Um, thanks. When, yeah. When sorry. Go ahead. This, when will this be, uh, live? Well, we are, we're actually live right now. I knew that. Oh, you are really live. Right we're now. live Facebook, LinkedIn, and um, YouTube. Uh -huh. uh, when we hang up, you can find us on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. Okay. Uh, you just search by mental health today, maybe your name, my name, or my name, and you'll find the episode uh, with this screenshot. And then we'll also be uh, fairly quickly. It'll take about a week. Uh, we'll have your episode up on iTunes and uh, Apple, Spotify, etc. Oh, good. So you'll have a, the video version here as a record. And then you'll also have, uh, you'll be able to enjoy uh, the audio version. Great. Well, it's been a pleasure. I thank you. And if you know of any other blogs that could stand to put up with me, let me know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Steve, stick around for uh, after this. I'm going to show a little commercial, and then I'll see you on the other side. Okay. Thanks again, everybody. Really appreciate your uh, all the good support and all the great comments we get on on this show. Uh, and see you tomorrow. Actually, I got a really hot week this week, so we're on all the time. See you soon. Yeah, loose baby. But we're about to go and make this vessel with these great professionals yeah. in public glass. We're not part of the community, but we're from the outer family of glass blowing. 
yeah, we're gonna go make a magical giant jar with optic lenses so that if you turn it, it changes all the time. So if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change.